Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? It's great to be here to get to share from God's Word, particularly from John chapter 17 with you this morning. I'm just going to bring some thoughts out of that chapter to you and then invite you to take them into your own time with Holy Spirit and have Him be your teacher around how they apply and what you should do with them. I was reflecting this week on how much our personal uh, story of God is, a, is an intimate progressive revelation. Have you noticed that? Like, I've progressed in my revelation of God this year further than I understood him and knew his ways last year or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Are you with me? Is your journey with God a progressive, personal, intimate revelation of him and his ways? Some nods, that's good, that's good. Our church story is a progressive revelation of God. Our denominational story, our denominations have a progressive revelation story of God. They understand and believe things today that they didn't believe sometime in the past. God continues to reveal new things about himself and we discover those new things. Or sometimes he renews things that the church understood in the past that somewhere we lost and then he renews them to his people again. It's not that God is changing, it's that God is bringing us a, a more fuller revelation of himself. And, you know, we, we preach, we teach, we share with others, we listen to, you know, uh, sermons on, online or read books, who does all that kind of stuff. But I just want to encourage you that all that stuff is not how you actually receive a progressive personal revelation. That may prompt you into that, but the, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. Not, I'm not your teacher. I'm hoping to prompt a conversation today that you will have with Holy Spirit and he will be your teacher. Do you, you, you with me on that? Where does it tell us that? John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. So we need to have a personal journey with, with God whereby the things that we discover together in our conversation or in our reading or whatever are actually brought before him and he becomes our teacher. We're people of the Spirit, led by the Spirit in progressive revelation of the God we follow. And I want to challenge you that I think that each generation, each generation of church has a revelation that God gives it to bring and give to the next generation. And the next generation kind of stands on the shoulders of the generation that's gone before. Do you follow me there? The church brings forth something new and the next generation flows in that and then God brings something new to that generation and the next generation stands on that shoulders. And I guess today I want us to consider together and then talk to God about it personally. What I think is maybe part of the progressive revelation that God's bringing to the church today that he wants to form in today's generation of church that the generations that come after us will stand on the shoulders of. It has implications for us personally, but it also has implications for us corporately as this church and as the church of the city of Australia, of the world. And the Revelation centres on this invitation, this call and this design that I see in Scripture around oneness. So I've titled this sermon, The Power of One. You ready to go? Was that intro enough for you? This is kind of important today. Let's just start by understanding our big story, the big narrative. Now, most stories, if they're good stories, they have four parts to them. And they're basically the same story of Scripture. We have perfect, you know, God created everything perfect. Everything was in relational, connected with, with Him. Everything worked well, right? That's how most stories start. You go to the cinema this afternoon and watch a movie, and most stories start with something being good. And then something goes wrong, there's a fall, there's a brokenness, something happens to the good that makes it broken, right? 
And then what happens in the story is somebody, the hero comes, something comes and brings about a restoration of the brokenness and then the story returns to good. Are you with me? Back to the perfect intention. And friends, that's your life story. This is the story of scripture. This is the story that we live in. Right? God made it perfect, he got broken, he came and restored it, and now he's making it perfect again. Now, in this here, we see that two parts of the story are kind of kingdom, if I can put it that way, story. In the beginning, God's kingdom was perfect, and then it got broken and restored, and that's kind of the personal part of it. And then the return to perfect is kind of his kingdom story advancing, right? So God restores us personally, but that's not the end of the story. Our personal restoration is so that everything can be returned to perfect again, so that his kingdom can come. Now, I think sometimes we stop in the middle of the story, right? We get the personal, you know, salvation story, but we don't realise that actually personal salvation is for kingdom salvation to come to the whole world, right? And we stop in this individualism, because who knows our society is an individualistic society. It's all about me. I'm the most important person in the world. You know that. You're told that every day. Well, that's rubbish, right? We're actually, our individualism, our personal salvation is part of a much bigger story, where we are personally saved so that the world will be restored back to perfect, You've got a role in that. <laughs> You've got a big life. Not just a beautiful life of restored relationship, but a big life of bringing this world back to God's design of perfect. Anybody going well? Yeah. We'll just be bored because you've got a big... No, get excited. You've got a big... <laughs> this is a big story. And I want to look at this story a bit closer. Now, the story of God is always infused with the character of God. It's a reflection of his being, if you will. Now, God's being extends perfectly into the way that God behaves, right? The way God is, his being, is the way he behaves. God is love, so God bees love. Are you, are you with me? God is peace, so God does peace. The way of his being is expressed in the way that he behaves, the way that he does. He cannot be other than his being. So, excuse me. So let me illustrate this. I just need three... Uh, Joe, can you come and, just come and help me, guys, real quick? I know you love stage, Joe. You know, yeah. <laughs> now we've seen this illustration. Yep, 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 yep. We, we've seen this illustration here, but God exists in three parts: Father, Son, and Spirit. Right? This is how God bees: Father, Son, Spirit. But he doesn't kind of be like this. He bees, you know, in a love relation. Be love, you know, connection, love, uh, joy, you know. He exists in this perfect divine oneness, right? This is how God bees. Three separateness, distinctively separate, but not, sorry, distinctively different, but not separated parts. This, as some theologians say, this divine dance, this uh, intricate web of, of oneness and unity is how God exists, right? Now, if we look at creation... Right? We see that this oneness actually extends, this way of God's being of oneness and unity actually extends into creation. The more intimately you expect, create, inspect creation, the more you will see oneness and relational unity. You know, if you look through a telescope and you look at the planetary system, you'll see that everything's in relation to. The way God creates is the way God is. Are you with me on that? Right? If we look into a microscope, we'll see in the atomic structure... I, you know, somebody will go, he has no idea what he's talking about there, and they are exactly right. But if you look there, you're going to see interconnectedness. Everything has, in a micro sense, everything has a connection and relatedness to one another. Even if you look into um, nature. Anybody seen the film The Big Little Farm or the doco, The Big Little Farm? 
Oh, made Amanda happy. <laughs> you really enjoy it. <laughs> but what the Big Little Farm shows us is that when everything in nature is in its right position, then everything works perfectly well. Why? Because nature reflects God's character. He creates the way he is. Everything in unity with one another, everything in relational connectedness. I mean, he creates us, and how do we thrive? In relationship with one another, aren't we? You know? So again, the way that God is, is the way that he creates. God's being is reflected. And the more intimately we look at his creation, the more, inter in, the more we will see this connectedness. Now it also happens in our personal salvation. Mate, you're my next volunteer, thanks for throwing your hand up. <laughs> you see, when we're personally saved, now you've seen this before here, we're not just behave with me. <laughs> We're not somewhat connected to this, right? We're not outside observers of this, right? We are grafted in, in Christ. <laughs> Perfect. This is how personal salvation works, because the way God saves is the way God's being. He brings us into unity. He could have just given us a book of law and said, go and but he didn't. He brought us into himself. Are you with me? The beauty of himself. You know, who's ever felt alone? Yeah. Some of us actually, our society suffers from aloneness. Friends, I just want you to see, you're never more alone than four of you together. Are you with me? We exist in the presence of the Father, Son and Spirit. If you suffer, I just want to say this today because I felt God prompt me when I was writing it. If isolation is affecting you, you're never more alone than the four of you together. So next time you feel isolated, just go, Father, thank you that you're here. Jesus, thank you that you're here. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're present. Renew your mind with that. <laughs> you're never more alone than the four of you together. Right? Let's destroy the enemy's story of aloneness and recognise that our personal salvation story grafts us into the unity and oneness of the Spirit. Right? Now, the enemy wants to keep you out of this love dance. Have you noticed that? Right? He wants to get you out of that love dance. And, you know, the way he does that is, if I use Ben's Arsenal soccer ball, he tells me they lost this morning, is that right? It was a draw. Everybody go, oh, so sorry, Ben. Yeah, nobody cares for you here, mate. Uh, so, anyway, let's just pretend that the Arsenal soccer ball is sin, right? And what the enemy does is he gives us our sin, right? And he says, you don't get to be there because you've got sin. Anybody felt that before? And so what we do is we believe the enemy rather than the Father and the Son and the Spirit and we disqualify ourselves and we come aside and we try, try and deal with our sin, right? We try and get rid of our sin so we can go back into the dance. Anybody done that? Anybody felt disqualified from the dance? Well, I just want to say to you that God can handle your balls, right? He has no problem with your sin, right? I know I said that. He has no problem. That was just so it grafted in your mind and you went, oh my goodness, I can't believe he said that. But God has no problem with us being in relational connected with us while we're dealing with sin. In actual fact, the only place sin gets healed is in the dance. Are you with me? Do you know why you put down sin? Because it's interfering with the dance. And the only way you do that is because the dance is so beautiful that you don't need the sin anymore. Are you with me? Friends, Let's not disqualify ourselves from the oneness and the intention of oneness with the Father, Son and Spirit because we've got sin in our hands. Let's recognise that that's dealt with in the dance.
Anybody want to give me an amen? amen. How good is God, eh? That he takes us as we are and deals with us in there. How about you think? <laughs> so just let me ask you the question. Do you live in the dance? Is that how you understand yourself to be in relationship with God? In the intimacy of the dance? Do you know that God can handle your sin in the dance or do you allow it to disqualify you? How strong is the enemy's voice from keeping you from dancing? And friends, here's the big one. Do we disqualify other people from dancing because of their sin? Ooh. I'm just going to leave that one there. Father, give us a progressive, personal revelation of the beauty of our oneness with you, of the beauty of your call into unity with you. And give us a progressive, personal revelation of how secure that space is in you. All right, let's move on. God exists in unity, and this is how God behaves from this unity. So creation displays the oneness of God. Our personal salvation is in this oneness. And the second part of my sharing today is that God sends us always in his presence to reflect his presence. So personal salvation has a purpose beyond restored relationship. You become the bringer, the restorer of perfect, of God's kingdom. So we turn now to the John 17 prayer. Now in this prayer, John, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Jesus is praying for believers. He's not only praying for those that are present, but those that will come. So he's praying for us. And he's praying, um, his prayer, if you like, has this cause and this effect. And he sets it out several times. You know, whenever you see repetition in scripture, you know that it's trying to, you know, make sure that you don't miss the point. And there's repetition in Jesus' prayer, this incredible prayer in John 17. The effect that Jesus prays about is the restoration of the kingdom the coming of his kingdom. He wants us to know how this will happen. So the prayer is about, the effect of Jesus' prayer is that his kingdom will come. All men will know that the Father sent the Son. And the cause, the way that Jesus wants his believers to be bringers of this kingdom is what he shows us in the cause. So let's just have a look at cause. So the cause, John 17, verse 11. Holy Father, I'm about to leave this world to return to be with you. But my disciples will remain here. So I ask that by the power of your name, you protect each one of them that you have given me and watch over them so that they will be united as one, even as we are one, right? Cause, unite them as one. Verse 20, 21. I ask not only for these disciples, but for all those who will come, uh, uh, those who will one day believe. That's us in me through this message. I pray for them that they will be joined together as one, as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one. Again, verse 22, for the very glory you have given me, I have given them so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. Do you see the repetition going on here? Verse 23, you live fully in me and now I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity. Jesus is praying like it's like, Dad, have you got this? I'm saying it like over and over again. Here's my prayer, Dad. Will you make them one? Like we are, make them, <laughs> right? If, if you can cause them to be one, then here's the effect that will happen, that the world will recognise that you sent me. The kingdom will be restored. Or in verse 23, 
and the world will be convinced that you have sent me, for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love you have for me. You see, unity displays love. Friends, here's my question to you. Is oneness, unity, in the church and of the church, so in this house and with the other houses of our city, is unity in God's church, is that God's plan for worldwide salvation? Is that how God will affect the kingdom come? Is this the progressive revelation that he wants to bring his people in his church today, that we will live in his being of oneness and then reflect that oneness corporately to the world that is around us so that the world will recognise him? That's my question. Because the church in its history has never fulfilled this prayer. It's never been one. Is God restoring it today for the purpose of evangelising the world? Who knows what the Great Commission is? Somebody does. Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Friends, we all know the Great Commission. Have we missed the great cause? Join them together as one so that the world will know. Are you with me? We got the Great Commission. Have we missed the great cause of the Great Commission? Is this the vehicle, unity, oneness in his body? Is this the vehicle of evangelism? Is this the way the Great Commission will be caused? I mean, John 17, the prayer is actually at a very critical moment in Jesus' life. And, you know, you can say one thing at one point in time, but depends also when you say it as to the impact of it. Are you with me? Right? Jesus is about to move into Jerusalem, be handed over, you know, be crucified, raised again. Critical time, John 17 prayer. He is about to execute the way of salvation, right? And what does he pray for? How that way will come about so that all men will see that way. The timing of this prayer is critical. The timing of when Jesus prays and says that we need to listen to it. I know many of you know that my, my dad died a, a month or so ago. I, I, I don't think I've shared this with you, but we're, we're in, in the hospital. He's in bed. He hasn't really been responding for quite a while to me. He hasn't opened his eyes or anything. And then all of a sudden, he opens his eyes and looks at the roof. I'm like, whoa. And then he starts to conduct. Just looking at the roof, he just starts to conduct. And he conducts for an hour. And he says three things to me while he conducts. He looks at me three times. He turns to me and says, is mum behind me? Now, mum passed away a few months earlier. I'm like, whoa. Maybe she is. I don't know where you are. <laughs> you know? like I was on holy ground. He turns to me a little while later, still conducting, he turns to me and says, uh, mentions one of our friend's names who passed away and says, is he with me? I'm like, oh, wow. Continues to con conduct. This is for an hour. And then he turns to me and just says, family matters. Stops conducting and never spoke another word again. Did I know that family matters? Yeah. But the way and the timing of which he said it to me has an incredible impact on my life. Are you with me? Timing is important. The prayer of John 17's timing is important for us. So let's just talk for our last moments about cause and effect. 
Again, I think I need a volunteer. If I've got a vol- uh, Tim, where are you? Thank you for putting up your hand. <laughs> Tim loves to put up his hand and volunteer. He seems to always end up a volunteer in my things. But let's just, let's, just, um, let's just look at the way cause and effect works for a minute. Let's just say, say, Tim, I was to say to you, I have my green potion here, right? Let's just say, let's just say, Tim, I was to say to you that if you will drink of my green potion, right, uh-huh. cause, it will bring about the effect of your life that you will be the most attractive man on planet Earth. Okay. Cause, right? Green drink, effect, you'll be the most attractive man on planet Earth. Yeah, I, I don't want to do that. You don't want to do that? Yeah, I don't want to do that. What do you mean you don't want to do that? I'm embarrassed to say. Right. Yeah. You don't want to... I, I feel like I'm already too attractive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I must admit I didn't see that coming. <laughs> people stare, you know, I, I, yeah. just, I don't want to... I, it's already too much. So you don't want the effect of attractiveness? No, I don't want the effect, no. no. I'm just seeing Joe go down there. A little sip wouldn't hurt. <laughs> Let's just say, on behalf of Joe, I convinced you to drink the drink so that you would be the most attractive man on earth. Are you prepared to drink my green drink? Yeah, no. <laughs> I, Why? I, so I don't, so to be honest, Greg, I don't believe that your green drink would have that effect. You, you don't think my green drink will make you the most attractive man no, on earth? No. You don't believe me? No, I, d- I don't believe you, no. What? Um, I think that had you had, you know, tried that on yourself, maybe, you know... <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, that, you know, it'd be a different story, yeah. Yeah, stick to the script, all uh, right, I wrote it. <laughs> Let's say I can convince you uh-huh. That my green drink, yeah. this cause, will have the effect yeah. of you becoming the most attractive man and you want it. Will you now drink? No. And why not now? It just looks too gross. <laughs> yeah? yeah? I don't want to... Yeah, it, it's, it would be an experience that I just don't want to have. I don't want to pay the price for, for that, that result. Having that drink. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, don't thank him. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> what... Tim showed us there is three things I want to challenge us with and that is the way we respond to cause and effect. Tim said three things. Firstly, I don't want the effect. Did you notice that? I don't want to be the most attractive man. Secondly, he said, <laughs> he said I don't believe that drinking the drink will make me, I don't believe the cause will have the effect and then the third thing he said is I don't want to pay the price of drinking the drink, right? Now, let's just overlay that with Jesus' 17 prayer, cause and effect. Jesus' prayer says, cause them to be like us, bring them into unity so that the world will know. And let me ask some questions of us. Friends, do we want the effect? Do you want the world to know that the Father sent the Son? I mean, not, gee, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be super sweet if the city of Ride came to know new Jesus? No, I mean... Will you die for it? Will you give everything you have? Do you want the effect of people knowing Jesus? Because if you don't want the effect, you're not going to drink the drink, right? You're not going to pay the price. You're not going to believe. You're not going to drink the drink. You're not going to become one. Did anybody 
just thoroughly have their socks blessed off last Sunday when 11 people got baptised in this house. What about the other two? <laughs> Apparently 13 got baptised. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I found myself uh, quite emotionally engaged. I found myself weeping, I had to keep... I actually walked with Jesus this week and said, I don't understand why I was so emotional about those baptisms on Sunday. And he said, because you love what I love. Do you love what he loves? He wants to bring the whole world, the whole world, back in a perfect unity with God. Do you want the effect? Do you want the effect? The next question is a little harder. Do you believe that oneness, unity of his body, in his body, us being one, but then us being one with the wider body of right and then the wider... Do you believe that that cause will bring about the effect? I think that's a seriously challenging question now. Do we believe the cause will bring about the effect? I read a quote from Tim Keller the other day. He, he was talking about the fact that there is so many evangelists in our world. Do you know that every brand is an evangelism, you know? Colgate is an evangelist. They want you to use Colgate toothpaste. Are you with me? We are overcome with evangelism. They want us to do two things. They want us to believe what they say and they want to get our money. They want power and money. And we all intrinsically know that evangelists want power and money. That's what they're after. And friends, if we go and evangelise based on that, people think we're about power and money. Right? But Tim Keller makes this quote. If you're famous for the way you love each other and the way you love them, then they will listen to your message of evangelism. Friends... Jesus is saying, make them one as I am one so they will see love and then they will hear that the Father sent the Son. Friends, <laughs> this is challenging. Are we prepared? Do we believe that oneness will bring about the effect of evangelism? And then lastly, will we pay the price? Because there's prices to pay. Oneness is costly, you know, if we are going to be one church, not just one church here, but one church in the city of Ryde, then one thing we're going to have to do is pray together. <laughs> well, friends, I can tell you, you can do that because in your newsletter this week, there's a Together for Ryde page there that is how is the churches coming together in Ryde. And you can scan this barcode and you can get a daily prayer and you can join with hundreds of us around the city who are praying for the same thing each day for the city. Have you done that yet? Well, I encourage you. <laughs> Because right? if you believe what Jesus says in the cause and the effect, then this is the cost. We pray together. On Wednesday night, churches of the city came to pray together. It was an hour and a half of prayer together. Listen, I'm not really, you know, call a prayer meeting. I'm not the first at the door, right? I went on Wednesday night and an hour and a half, you were there, mate, too. An hour and a half disappeared in a heartbeat. Meg, you were there. When we prayed, and it was powerful. But friends... Of the churches of the city, I don't know, there wasn't enough of us together. <laughs> There's a price to pay. <laughs> the price is that we pray together. There's a price to pay in the way that we actually cast our church's vision statement. I mean, right now, we're looking at our vision and our values. And I don't know whether you've read our core values. Did you read that that came out? I read them and every single statement was fantastic. Right? But can I get up in our face and challenge us? It wasn't one statement there about us being one with the body of Christ. 
See, we need to think about our vision and our values and who are we if we're going to see the cause and the effect. It'll cost us in what we value and the, and the, and the way we place being right at a, at a line of importance. Friends, how many denominations, Christian denominations, do you think there are in the world? Anybody want to throw a number? 5,000 I got at the front here. Do I hear any advance on five? Yeah, 45, 42, just over 42,000 denominations. What makes a denomination? We believe or want to behave in a way that's different from someone else, so we become a denomination. And what determines that is a belief and a, and, and, and a practice, right? Well, friends, I don't think that denominations are bad unless denominations become divisive, right? And that's the enemy's plan, is that we become divisive. But when God's plan for denominations is diversity, right? The beauty of diversity. I think our denominations are beautiful, providing they're in one. Are you with me, friends? So it's going to cost us our kind of, you know, desire to always be right about God. I don't know whether you know the story of St. Thomas of Aquinas. He was a prolific writer and theologian in, the, in church history in the 12th century. And one day he's celebrating Mass and he has this personal revelation from God that just this, I don't know what happened, but he had a personal revelation from God while he's leading Mass that so affected him that he never wrote again. And in actual fact, he was, you know, three quarters of the way through his biggest life project, Summa Theologia, something like that. Yeah, did I get that right? And, and he left that unfinished. And, and, and someone asked him, a good friend asked me, you know, you've got to finish this work. And he says, the end of my labours have come. All that I have written appears to be as much straw after the things that have been revealed to me. You see, Thomas was, was, was a theologian. He wanted to know what was right. You know, he was into right. But he had a revelation of heaven or something of God and he just went, oh my goodness, we think we're right. <laughs> Wait till we get to heaven's friends. I wonder whether we can put our rightness aside for oneness so that the world will know that the Father sent the Son. Are you with me? Don't still hold on what you believe is right, but just don't make it that you can't sit with someone else who doesn't agree with your, with your right. Are you with me? I had this situation the other day, two pastors talking, and, and one believed one thing and the other believed the other, and they were totally diametrically opposed, you know? Believed A, you know, totally opposed. And again, I was walking with Jesus, and I, I won't use their names, but I say, Jesus, who's right? Is Bob right or is Bill right? You know, who's right? Because they're both totally different. So in my mind, only one of them can be right. So who's right? Is Bob right or is Bill right? And I felt Jesus say to me, Bob's right. And I thought, oh, that's great. I know what's right now because I know what Bob believes. Bob's right. And I said, so Bill's wrong. And he said, no, Bill's right. <laughs> I went, but hang on a minute. Bob's right. Yeah, Bob's right. I felt like I was into three stooges. You know, one of those three stooges. You know, Bob's right. Yeah, Bob's right. So Bill's wrong. No, Bill's right. And I just felt Jesus had this smile on his face as if you think rightness is so big. I actually want you to love one another, be together, you know. They're kind of somehow in God's, I'm still doing my head in, but somehow in God's economy, they're both right. How can they be both right when they're... I don't get that. I challenge you with that. So can we not make our rightness the reason for us to be separated? We'll have to 
drink in the cost of time. It costs time to be unified with the other body of Christ. You know, we as a church need to be releasing Ben and Tim and Georgie and, 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 and any of our staff to take time to be one with the body of Christ so that they can bring them into oneness with it. There's costs. You know, if we really believed that oneness would bring about salvation, then our budget would reflect it as a church, wouldn't it? We'd put our money in with the other churches so that we could see that happen because oneness comes about in prayer, in, in, in vision, in, in budget, in time. Are you with me, friends? There's cost to this. So let me land. God's doing this all over the world. He's bringing churches into oneness in cities all over the world. And he's doing it in Australia. And my current job is to kind of look at that. And I can say to you now that uh, Western Australia, almost every church in Western Australia is coming together in oneness in every local government area in Western Australia. There's 35 areas across the eastern seabird that I've already identified that people are coming together in oneness. Friends, we are part of that. Because as part of Together for Ride, we're bringing the churches together in oneness. These are exciting days, friends. Are we receiving a progressive revelation of God that will be the cause that will bring about the effect of people meeting Jesus? I pray so. Do you? So, friends, let me land because we've got an AGM too. I'm just going to, can you throw up that list, mate, of churches? Here's the churches of our city that God would invite us as the first stage of oneness to come into. And I wonder whether you'll pray with me that, Father, you will make us one with these churches. I kind of thought that we might kind of rather than me do that, you might kind of do it just where you are together in just, just some small groups, like maybe this group over here, you can take this screen of churches here and just pray that we'll be one with Bridge Church and Captivate Church and that we'll pay the price of that. And maybe the guys in the centre here can just take the centre and the guys on the edge here can just take the edge groups of churches. And why don't we just take a few moments, just turn where you are in groups of three or four and just ask that God would make us one that they'd bring us into his design as he is so he wants us to be, as he saves us personally into oneness so he wants us to then reflect that oneness to the world so that they'll see that we are great lovers and we know a great lover and they'll meet our great lover. Are you with me? Just take a few moments, turn where you are, just pray for these churches that you probably don't even know, you probably don't even know their address, but friends, I believe in one day we'll know their address, we'll know their pastor, we'll know them personally as we come into oneness with them. So just turn and pray for a few moments. Lord Jesus, we thank you for each one of the churches in our city. Yeah. Lord, we pray a blessing upon each one of them. We pray that you would grow your kingdom through each church. Yeah. And that you would grow us together in unity in your name. Lord, we thank you for our involvement with Together for Ride. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to regularly meet with and serve with other churches. And Lord, we thank you for the partnership that we have between Ride Baptist and Ride Salvos. We thank you that we are one in worship, that we are one in mission, that we come together as one church in your name. And Lord, that is because you are Lord. 
you are king of both churches. And you are king of your church universal. And Lord, we come before you acknowledging that you are the one that brings us together. In Jesus' name.